want you to take your Bibles with me to James chapter number four, James chapter number four, and we're going to, uh, we're going to begin in verse 13. Uh, I want to say thank you to all those who are family and friends and guests who have come because somebody invited you to come. If you're a first time attender, we are glad that you're here. And we, we know this is not an accident. We believe in divine appointments around here. And I, I, I thank God for the good crowd in here today. See, all we've, you've needed is an extra hour every week. We have found the solution. Amen. Amen. James chapter number four in verse 13. I don't really have a whole lot of uh, uh, before the sermon talk. I just want to get right to the point today. Uh, I, I have been dealing with a lot of uh, trials, a lot of pain, uh, a lot of heartache here in the last few weeks. And, and, you know, nothing will make you think about life more than dealing with death. And so I want to I just be real plain and real simple and, and just, just see what God has for us today. Amen. Go to now. Come on, y'all. That's what that means. Come on. Pay attention. Go to now. Ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? What is your life? What a question. It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, your bragging in your arrogance is what that means. And all such bragging or rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good... And doeth it not, to him it is sin. I want us all to read verse number 14 again, and all in concert together. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your mercy. I'm so grateful for your presence that I have felt in this place this morning. Lord, I'm so glad that one day we're going to leave all of our sorrow behind. We're going to go to a place where there will be no weeping. There will be no crying. There will be no mourning. There will be no death. You'll wipe away every tear that comes to our eyes. Lord, thank you for that promise and thank you for that hope. Lord, I pray until that day comes, I pray that we'll be fulfilling your will in our life. I pray that your perfect will be done today. God, I pray that you'll open the eyes of every person here, the believer as well as the unbeliever. I pray the unbeliever will see the error of his ways and see how desperately he needs a savior. Lord, I pray for the believer needs to understand that they desperately need to be submitted to your will in their life. And I pray that your perfect will be done in this service, in this message, in this hour. Lord, don't let me say anything I shouldn't. And don't let me forget anything I should. God will praise you and thank you and give you all the credit, 
all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. I pray your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we all pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. On June 18th, Napoleon met the British Army commanded by England's best, the Duke of Wellington, in a battle near a small town of Waterloo. Author G.A. Henry wrote, In point of numbers, the armies were not very ill-matched. Wellington had 49,608 infantry, 12,402 cavalry, 5,645 artillerymen, and 156 big guns. Napoleon had 48,950 infantry, 15,765 cavalry, 7,302 artillerymen, and 246 big guns, cannons. The British infantry consisted almost entirely of young soldiers while the whole of Napoleon's force were veterans. So Napoleon had the upper hand. Napoleon had the superior force and the superior weapons. Napoleon wanted the battle to begin early in the day to increase his chances of defeating the English before the Prussians arrived. He boasted he would have the English and Prussians utterly defeated by two o'clock in the afternoon. But one of his generals reminded him, man proposes, but God disposes. But Napoleon, full of pride and arrogance, answered, I want you to understand, sir, that Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. In the days preceding the battle, though, it rained heavily, causing the ground to become wet and muddy. By the way, God controls that. This was not a good start for such an important battle. Because of the mud, Napoleon was unable to order an early attack. His heavy cannons, of which he was proud and had often boasted, became stuck and absolutely useless. The mud also hindered the advance of the cavalry, which meant the main attack couldn't happen until later in the afternoon. At 10.50 a.m., the French began bombarding Wellington's right, distracting him from his left flank where the main attack would take place. As Napoleon prepared for his great attack, which was planned at one o'clock, news came that Prussian troops of 30,000 men were approaching. Napoleon proceeded with the attack anyway. He's an arrogant little guy. Relying on General Grouchy's troops to intercept the Prussians within an hour's time, that hour, however, turned into four hours, and in that time, the Prussians came up and helped Wellington defeat Napoleon. By the end of the battle, the French had lost 30,000 men. Napoleon was taken by the British and sent to the Atlantic island of St. Helena aboard the HMS Bellerophon on July 15th, where he was placed under guard and remained there until his death in 1821. Let me remind you his words. Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. He was arrogant in his assumption. He presumptuously acted and spoke as if he was in control. And you say, well, that was, that was awful arrogant of him. Well, sometimes we do the same thing. And I will explain today as we read the James is, is, is using the illustration of merchants who are making plans. He says in verse 13, go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. So first of all, first of all, and by the way, I'm just going to give you all three subs and then we'll talk about it to save some time. 
we see a presumptuous attitude. If you're taking notes and, and writing down these things, we see a presumptuous attitude. First of all, we see a presumptuous explanation. Then we see a presumptuous expectation. And then we see a presumptuous exclusion. A presumptuous explanation, a presumptuous expectation, and a presumptuous exclusion. In other words, as we see in verse number 13, or verse, yes, verse 13, he presumed on the day. He said, we're going to go today or tomorrow. Not only did he presume on the day, but he presumed on the place. He said to such a city, we're going to continue their year. He presumed on the duration. He presumed on the activity, buy and sell. He presumed specifically on the expectation. We're going to get gain. No question about it. We're going to get gain. Now, preacher, is there a problem with planning? No, there's no problem with planning. Everybody should plan. Everybody should have goals. Everybody should have dreams and everybody should have desires. There's nothing wrong with dreams. There's nothing wrong with plans. There's nothing wrong with having a, a, a wish and a desire to buy or sell and to get gain and make a profit. Not a thing wrong with none of those things. The problem comes in is when you leave God out of your plans. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. We're going to go here. We're going to go there. We're going to buy. We're going to sell. We're going to get gain. But not one single mention of God. They presumed because they left God out of it. They excluded God out of their plans. They excluded God out of their life. They excluded God out of their goals. They excluded God out of everything. And you know, you say, well, preacher, that's what, that's what sinners do. I'm afraid that's what saints do too. We have so many people who are living their life, they're born again, they've committed their life to Christ, they've placed their faith in Christ, but yet after that, they go to live in their life like they are in charge and they are in control. That's the most arrogant and prideful thing we could ever do. We live our life, we make our decisions like we're in control of our destiny. We're in control of our life. We're in control of tomorrow. We're in control of the future. But I'm afraid that's just not reality. And all God's people say it. We see not only a presumptuous attitude, but then number two, I want you to see a sobering reality. A sobering reality. Look what he says in verse 14. All you that's making your plans, all you that's saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to go here and I'm going to go there. He says, whereas, verse 14, <clears throat> Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. You see, here's the problem. Here's the problem with our planning. Here's the problem with leaving God out of our, our, our attempts and our life and our, our planning and our desires and our goals and our dreams. First of all, we don't know what life will contain. We don't know what life will contain. He says, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? Proverbs 27, one says, boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Matter of fact, let me, let me venture to say this. Not only do you not know what's going to happen tomorrow, you don't know what's going to happen the rest of today. We don't know. 
We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what the future will bring. We don't know what will happen the rest of this day. We we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in the election. We don't know what's going to happen driving down the road. We don't know. We don't know what life will contain. Not only do we not know what life will contain, but look what he says. It is even a vapor that appears for a little while or a little time and then vanisheth away. We don't know what life will contain. We don't know when life will conclude. We don't know when our time will be called. It is even a vapor. This week I had to go to South Carolina. The man that really ruined me and got me coon hunting. We became dear friends. He came, matter of fact, he, he got saved. He got saved about in that area where some of you guys are sitting before there was a building there. There was nothing but trees and grass. And we were in the little building and he came and he was under great conviction. And so we just drove off out here into the grass and knelt down in the grass and he trusted Christ as a savior. Barry and Cheryl was just dear friends of ours. A couple of weeks ago, Cheryl got COVID. I thought it was over with. She got COVID and, and was in the hospital several weeks. And, and, and really, we got good news. The doctor said, you're finally over. You, you survived what the worst part of this. And you survived what has killed many people. And so we were excited and we were happy. And just a few days later, she had vent pneumonia. And they found mold in her blood. And Monday, she passed away. And I went over there and did her funeral. October 31st, she met her Lord. She was 68 years old. Pastor Charles and Connie Johnson. Pastoring right here at Missionary Grove. Just a few weeks ago, they were in a tragic car accident. October 26th. They were 71 and 74 years old. Just this past week. I was, I was looking at social media and, and we were celebrating Jason McCollum, 48 years old. They found a heart and they found lungs and, and they were able to do the surgery and they were to, able to do the transplant. And man, I thought this is awesome. What a thrill. He's been in the hospital so long and waiting on this for so long. This is great. And we were celebrating. And I wasn't on social media for a couple of days and the next thing I knew... He had a, a neurotic or a, a neurological problem and went out into eternity. November the 2nd, he's 48 years old. Holly Pond native Leah Tarvin was hit by a vehicle on the campus of Jacksonville State University and went into eternity 22 years old. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm saying we live our life like there will always be a tomorrow, like the sun will always come up. We are dealing with families now who've gotten phone calls and say, I've got bad news. It's gotten word from the doctor. I'm telling you, one single minute, one single moment in life, one single phone call can change your life forever. It's arrogant to think 
It's arrogant to think. It's arrogant to live. It's arrogant to even. It's so prideful to try to live our life without God. Now, we say we don't live our life without God, but the only time we call him is when we got a problem. I mean, what, I'm, what am I saying living life without God? Living like you're in control. Not submitting to his will. Not even as, look what it says in verse number 15. For that ye ought, that word ought is a word of obligation. Here in verse 13, we're saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to buy. I'm going to sell. I'm going to get gain. No word of God. No mention of God. But this is what we ought to do. Verse 15. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will. Say it with me. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Number three, we find a critical responsibility. Let's, let's review. Let's review. Number one, say it with me. A. Everybody real loud. There's a lot of people in here. Okay, here we go. A. Say it loud out there at Fairview now. Let's repeat it again. Fairview, I want to hear you now. Here we go. A. Number two. A. Sobering reality. We don't know what life contains. We don't know what will happen this afternoon. We don't know what will happen tonight. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know when life will conclude. Luke chapter 12 speaks of a certain rich man. It says the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, oh, I've got an idea. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull down my barns. I'm going to build granary, And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast many goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Kick back. Enjoy what you got. But God said unto him, thou fool. This night, this night. Thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall all those things be which thou hast provided? We don't know. Listen, here's here's the obligation we have. Here's a critical responsibility. Let me give you all three and then we'll talk about it. First, acknowledging God's will. We have a critical responsibility. That's to acknowledge God's will. B, accepting God's will. Accepting God's will. C, accomplishing God's will. What is our responsibility, preacher? Well, first of all, you need to recognize that God is a plan for your life. Really, really, I mean, we can go before that. You need to recognize you're not the boss. You're not qualified to be the boss. You're not smart enough to be the boss. You don't have enough information to be the boss because you don't know what tomorrow will hold. I love the song that says, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. 
And you got to, listen, acknowledge, you've got to recognize that God has a plan for your life. God has a will of desire, a purpose. Now, now, Sometimes, sometimes we have, we, we have this bird's eye view of everything. I know God's got a plan for my life and that's for me to go to heaven. No, 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 no. God's got a plan for what you're going to do at Walmart here in a minute. He doesn't have his plan for your life. is not just an overall plan. Like his plan for my life is to be a pastor and to lead people and to preach the gospel. He has a plan for that. And that is his desire. That is his goal. That is his purpose for me is to preach the gospel. But God has a desire and a purpose, a plan for me today, on this day, on this Sunday, in just a few hours. Are y'all with me? He doesn't just have an overall plan. He doesn't just have an overall purpose. He has a daily purpose. When the disciples went to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. This is what he said. Our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy own as it is in. In other words, we are asking God, let me do down here what you've already planned. That's what that means. Thy kingdom. Kingdom means rule. It means a realm of authority. Lord, we want your kingdom to come. Now we know it, it ultimately means his kingdom in the millennial reign, that we want his kingdom to come. But I want his kingdom in my life. I want his rule in my life. I want him to reign in my life. I want him to guide me. He is my Lord. Are y'all with me? And you need to acknowledge that. You need to realize that. Because here's the thing, here's the thing. You're making your plans and you're not even including God in it. And you're going to plan for something to happen this, this week and you have no idea on Thursday, God might have some plans for you. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. What do we learn from a graveyard? You walk into a graveyard and you look, you can't help it. You can't help it when you go at a funeral as you're passing by. I can't help it, but I look at dates. Nikki Joe, I can't help but look at dates. And I look at the dates and I see when they're born and when they die. And man, I'm telling you, there is no respecter of persons when it comes to death. There is babies, there is toddlers, there is young people, there is teenagers, there is young adults, there are middle-aged adults and there are senior adults. No respect of persons. We don't know. And here's the thing. We need to recognize that God's got a plan. God's got a will for our life. God's got a desire for our life. God's got a purpose. And the second thing we have to do, we've got to accept it. We've got to accept it. Jesus in the garden, he's praying under such pressure and under such sorrow and under such burden. He is praying and he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Pray that this cup will pass from me. Father, I know all things are possible with thee. Let this cup pass from me. Let, let there be some other way. Nevertheless, not my, but thy be done. And by the way, if he hadn't have done that, we'd all be in hell. There would have been no hope. There would have been no redemption. Without the shedding of blood, there's no redemption of sin. Are y'all with me? Preacher, what are you saying? This was his own son. 
This was his own son, his own well-beloved son who he was well-pleased with. And yet his will was different. But it was right. We got to accept the fact that God has a plan. Now here's the thing. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. Most of the time, his plan is different than ours. I did not plan to be a preacher. I didn't even desire it. I didn't even want it. I was going to be a veterinarian and be rich. Hey, I have my plans, y'all. Laugh if you want to. I like animals. I like dogs. They don't talk back. Throw a dog in a trunk, throw your wife in a trunk, and three days later, get them out and see who's happy to see you. I need a witness right there. Preaching wasn't my plan. But you know what? I can't even, I can't even imagine doing anything else. Because he was right. I couldn't see it at the time, but he was right. I didn't realize it at the time, but he was There's so many of us, and it's not just our careers. Some people, God's will for your life has been a struggle. Because maybe you've gone through a tragedy, or maybe you've gone through a difficulty. Maybe, maybe you've had a special needs child or something like that that God has trusted you with. I ain't even saying that because that seems so... I, I, I talked to the family and, and there were so many... You know, we have this crazy idea that we have to explain things when we go through the line shaking the family's hand. And, and we have to try to say stuff to make it better when it usually just makes it worse. And, and so I, I'm careful when I try to say, hey, I know that you didn't plan this, but this is God's will. And sometimes the hardest thing in the world, sometimes the hardest thing in the world is to accept the road that God has for you to travel. But I'm going to tell you this. His ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. So far as the heavens are above the earth, his ways are above our ways. And his thoughts are above our thoughts. Even when we can't see it, he's right. We have to accept God's will. If God's will, we'll do this or that. We must understand and recognize, acknowledge that he's got a will, he's got a desire, he's got a purpose, he's got a plan. We got to accept that plan. And then we got to attempt to accomplish that plan. We've got to attack that plan and go after that plan and say, God, if this is your will, I'm here. Here we go. And all God's people say it. Listen, this is a critical response. We ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Then number four, we'll, we'll, we'll close. This is a long number four, so don't be wrapping up. 
a wicked sin. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Now, now keep in mind, keep in mind what we said. It's not evil to make plans. It's not evil to have goals. It's not evil to want to make a profit. It's not evil to expect to make a profit. What is evil is leaving God out. Does everybody understand that? Look at this wicked sin. Two things I want to show you, the good and the evil. The good is verse 13, God's will. Can we say that God's will is good? God is good. Say it with me. God is good. All the time. That's right. Listen, his will. What is his will? What is his will? Well, five things here. First of all, salvation. Salvation. Second Peter three, nine, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Everybody read it. Not willing that any should say it with me again, not willing that, but that all should come to, can we say by that verse, it's God's will for everybody to be saved? Yes. I mean, that's plain English. You don't, you don't need any kind of commentary on that. God's will is for you to be saved for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God doesn't want you in hell. God wants you in heaven. God wants you forgiven. God wants you redeemed. God wants you in a right relationship with him. It is God's will for you to be saved. Church say amen. Not only that, it's God's will for your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now, what's fornication? That's sex outside of marriage. Sex with someone you're not married to. Basically, he's saying, after you're saved, you need to be clean. Sanctification is the word purifying. When you get saved, you're forgiven. And then you are in a process of sanctification. You spend a life... In God's spiritual shower, where he is cleaning you up, where he is sanctifying you, he is setting you apart. He is getting stuff out of your life that don't need to be there. He's putting things in your life that needs to be there so he can use you for his glory. So you can be a vessel unto honor, meet for the master's use. Now, how many of y'all got a favorite cup? Anybody got a favorite cup? Raise your hand real high if you got a favorite cup. That's your cup, ain't it? I got a cup at the house that says the Rev. It's mine. It's sanctified. There you go. Sanctified. That means that's one, it's it's purpose. It's for one purpose, and that's the Rev. Are y'all with me? Now, my children don't understand what sanctification is. But here's the thing. Say your favorite cup. Say your favorite cup. Say somebody borrowed your cup and put milk in it, drank a glass of milk and set it on the counter for three or four days. Has anybody ever seen a cup with milk in it from three or four days ago? In the bottom of it? When it gets lumpy? 
Are you just going to take that and pour you some tea and put some ice in there? Are y'all going to do that? That's foolish, isn't it? You say, preacher, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Yeah, it's not any more dumb than you saying you're saved, but you're living like a dog running around in heat and expecting God to use you. God wants a pure vessel. God wants a clean vessel and God will clean you up. And what do you do? You take one of them, you take one of them bristly things and you stick it down in there and you clean that thing up and this rook on there and clean that up. Hey, God will do the same thing to you. And sometimes his sanctification process is painful. Preacher, what are you saying? It's God's will for you not only to be saved, but for you to be clean, pure and holy. Meat means proper, able to be used of the master. If we don't, if we wouldn't use an old dirty milk encrusted cup, why do we expect God to use somebody that's hello? Number three, God's will is salvation. God's will is sanctification. Number three, God's will is, look what it says. First Peter four, two says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the that, what the, that means, not to the lust of flesh, the word lust there is not necessarily talking about sexual lust, lust, man lusting after a woman or a woman lusting after a man. It means desire. In other words, just living for yourself. It's just living for yourself. No, we shouldn't live for ourselves. We should live for the will of God. We should be like Jesus and say, not my will, but thy will be done. We should say, as the prophet said, here am I, send me. Are y'all with me? We should, we should do as the word says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can't know the will of God, you can't accomplish the will of God till you submit yourself, surrender yourself. Are y'all with me? Now, what is an altar for? He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, that ye present your bodies a living what? Sacrifice. Now, uh, an altar is for the purpose of dying on. And you cannot be a living sacrifice without dying to yourself. You have to die to your desires. You have to die to what you want. You have to surrender and submit and say, God, here am I, anywhere, any place, anytime, anything. Here's a blank check, Lord. You fill it out. What do you want out of my life? That's his will. That's his will. You can be saved as all get out and not surrendered. I was for years. I ran from God for years. I was born again saved. I was preaching. One, one missionary in a service before I was even out of high school pointed at me and said, I want him to be a missionary. And I made up my mind right then, God, I ain't being no missionary. I've done, have, I've done seen them missionaries come in and do their little slideshows and have to eat crickets and things because that's what they ate in the village. So you eat what they ate so you can give them the gospel. Hello. I don't want to do that. 
And here I am running from God, go to Bible college, running from God, preach a, a little, uh, pastor a little church, a little, uh, preach a Methodist church my whole senior year in college, running from God. Preach at, went to my father's down in Florida for a couple years, running from God. Pastor at Long Branch Baptist Church, running from God. And God blessed in all those places. People getting saved and, and, and it's just amazing what God did. But no peace in my heart, no, no, no kind of joy that God expected because I always felt like I was running because I was. And I got tired of it. And at the end of my time at Long Branch, I said, God, I don't care where it is. I don't care. Lord, I don't care where, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Here comes Alabama. I ain't going to lie. Out of all the places on this planet, I thought I would be. This ain't one of them. But 21 years ago, we landed in Coleman, Alabama, a dry county. I didn't even know what that was. Really? I'm at the, I'm at the motel. I'm standing behind a guy. He just come off the interstate right here behind, right here behind uh, 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 Denny's. And the man says, where can a man get a drink around here? She says, 30 miles that way or 30 miles that way. I didn't know what that meant. And here we go. I came in to fill in. Because I thought God wanted me to be a missionary overseas. I called, y'all don't tell Tammy, I think she's under the weather, she ain't here this morning. But, but I told her, she called that morning. And the first time I preached, she said, how'd it go? I said, baby, it went great. She said, don't say that. <laughs> you see, we had just moved back to Augusta, Georgia, and her parents had been living in Florida, and they just went and moved back, and we were close again. That night, she called again. How'd it go? Man, it went great. She said, don't say that. And we used the moving boxes. Her parents moved back home to move out here. And you know what? Man, it's been awesome. I can't, I can't, I can't imagine being anywhere else. Me and Tammy was riding around Barnwell. We went over there to look at the, the old church. And... And just things that we remembered from being there two or three years. I said, man, this was something else, wasn't it? She said, sure was. I said, you ready to get home? She said, I sure am. (laughs) You know why? Because he's right. He knows you better than you know you. And when he has a plan for your life... He knows you better than you know you. You might as well go with it. Because you'll be glad you did. And all God's people said. See, sometimes we think we know ourselves more than he does. And we're smarter than he is. And we don't surrender. We see God's will is for us to be saved. To be sanctified. Surrendered. It's God's will for us to serve. Ephesians 6, 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers. But as the... Servants of Christ. Doing what? The. Come on. Now don't stop. 
Doing the Some of y'all be doing the will of God like that teenager you sent to take out the trash. They doing it, but under their breath, they mumbling and grumbling and murmuring, complaining. Are you doing the will of God from your heart? Amen. Because that's, that's God's will for your life. It's to be saved, to be sanctified, to be surrendered, to be serving. Now watch this. Put your seatbelts on. Joel Osteen won't even read this verse. <laughs> Nor Benny Hinn or none of the rest of them. Prosperity preachers preaching a false gospel. Preaching if you get saved, everything's going to be great. And everything's going to be fine. The more you give, you're going to be blessed. And you're going you're gonna to have all that you want and all that you ask for right around in the bins. 1 Peter 4.19 Wherefore let them that suffer. Wherefore let them that what? Suffer. suffer according to the. Will of God. Commit the keeping of their souls to him in well doing. As unto a faithful creator. Preacher what does that mean? Sometimes. It's God's will for us to suffer. So I tell you what, I don't think you ought to name names. Well, when you pastor, you don't name names. But I'm going to name names. Because it's people like that who will get on TV and have millions of followers that won't tell the truth about reality and won't preach a right gospel so that when a man of God stands and says that sometimes you're going to have to suffer, sometimes you're going to have lack, sometimes you're going to have to be like Paul and be content with nothing or be content with everything, sometimes it's going to be very difficult, sometimes you're going to be full of fate but yet still full of pain and full of sorrow and full of hurt and that charlatan will cause people not to believe what I'm saying when I'm preaching the book. I'm telling you guys, sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer. God allowed his own son before you go to complaining. How could a loving God, how could a loving father allow his children to suffer and to go through difficulty and have pains and aches and all of this? Well, look at Calvary. He allowed his own son to be betrayed. He allowed his own son to be, to be crucified, to be butchered like an animal, to be beaten and spit upon and his beard plucked out. But if he hadn't, we'd all be in hell. So before you go to blaming God and before you go getting angry at God for what you're going through, how could God do, love you and still allow you? Sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer. But he's right. I have talked to people who've gone through very, very, very difficult things. And they say, preacher, if I had it to do all over again, I would do it again because I have seen God. I have experienced God. I know God in a greater way today than I've ever in my life. And that is biblical. Go read the book of Job. Go read the book of Job. Job went through hell on earth, literally one thing after another, went completely broke. He was one of the wealthiest men on the planet and was completely broke. He lost all of his kids and he got sore balls from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. But when God was through with him, Job, basically, this is what he said. I thought I knew you. 
But boy, boy. And it was through Job's trials that he was able to see God like he had never seen him. And by the way, when God was through, he had twice as much as he ever had. I'm just telling you, sometimes the will of God is for us to go through very hard times. And can we say in those hard times, it's easy to say, Lord, thy will be done when it comes to my career or my, 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 uh, my, my calling. But can you say thy will be done when, when, when the doctor calls? When the banker calls? When the principal calls? God has a plan. And we have to accept it. And we have to attempt to accomplish his plan. Now watch this. I'm, I'm almost done. That's the good. God's will is the good. Here's the evil. 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth, to him that knoweth to do what? Now, what was the good? Number one, it's right there in your notes, folks. Here's the good. Here's the good. To him that knoweth to do good, what's the good? Number one. Number two, number three, number four, number five. That's the good. When we know that's what God's wanting in our life. Here's the evil. Here's the evil. And doeth it to him it is sin. Here's the evil. Knowing God's will and not doing it. There's nothing more wicked than knowing God's will and not doing it. Luke 12, 47. Luke 12, 47. This is the way God described that attitude. And that servant which, come on everybody. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with but he that knew not and did not commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Now here's the point. Here's the point he's making. For unto whosoever much is of him shall be much. And to whom men have committed much of him, they shall ask the more. Well, guess what? Nobody can leave this room today and say, I didn't know. Now you know. What's the conclusion? The conclusion for you in here that is un, un, unbelievers. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. I want everybody to look at me. We're done here, but look at me. If you're here today and you're not 100% sure if you were to die right now that you'd go to heaven, here's your Bible verse. Today is the day of salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord... That's what you need to do. Today's the day. Well, preacher, I'm just going to put it off a little bit. One day we had a, a 17-year-old kid who came and, and, and trusted Christ and, uh, listen, was here in the church service in the morning service on a Sunday morning and left and was going out 69 like you were going to Jasper and lost control of his truck. 
And he never made it back to the service that night. Y'all remember, y'all were there when I did the funeral. 17 years old. If you're here today and you're not saved, you are not promised tomorrow or this afternoon. Listen, today's your day. Matter of fact, my people, come on up, men and ladies. If you're a gentleman and you're not saved, we've got gentlemen up here. If you're ladies and you're not saved, we have ladies. Go ahead at, at, at Fairview. You guys get in your place. All the ladies and all the men who are, are prayer warriors, you get in your place to help someone to come. And if you're lost, I wouldn't even wait for me to finish and pray. Just come now. But if you're saved, here's your verse. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. This is for the, the plans for the future. You say, preacher, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know when, when our time is up. That's why we have to trust God. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him. That means acknowledge, recognize that he is in your life and he has a plan and then he will direct thy paths. Psalms 37, four, delight thyself. Listen up, listen up. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Watch, commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Preacher, what does that mean? In a nutshell, it means this. Every single day of your life, you need to wake up and say, God, what do you want from me today? I submit to you today, I surrender to you today, whatever you have in my life, fulfill it. Thy kingdom come, thy own, as it is in. In other words, you're praying, Nikki Joe, when you get up in the morning, you're saying, God, help me to do today what you've written down for me in heaven. I know you've got a plan for my life. I know you've got a desire for my life. Today, before my feet ever hit the floor, I'm going to surrender to it and be obedient to it. And all God's people say it.